0: Turn your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 6. We want to talk about things regarding the, the time of the flood, Noah and the time of the flood. I, I take for granted that everybody knows the flood story. It's, uh, uh, it's something you might be interested to know if you don't already know this. Uh, every culture has a, a, a version of the catastrophic flood in their history. And uh, it's the most agreed upon story in the in uh, the history of man and uh, and for that reason I, I take for granted that everybody knows a little bit about it How that Noah built the ark and it rained for 40 days and 40 nights and he was out there for a long time And then sent a bird out and came back and sent a bird out and it came back with a pig leaf in its beak and and I, that's not stuff we're going to talk about Let's jump right in in chapter 6 verse 1. I want to read verses 1 through 4 then i'll stop and make some comments and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. And they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them; the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. Um, I have heard every explanation under the sun to cover these verses, and it's it's amazing to me how that we seem to have an idea, that, well, not an idea, we have the understanding, the realization, that God gave us the Bible to understand, not to be a mystery to us, not to be an unknown. And for that reason, it's it's um, it's amazing to me, it's staggering how scholars, men that are otherwise, at least in my opinion, steady and stable to, to some degree, will invent doctrines to fit these scriptures. Uh, one of the most uh, common ideas about this is that, uh, angels came down and had sex with women and uh, bore children. Well, when did that start? Jesus said, talking about the angels, that in heaven they need the angels in heaven neither marry nor are given in marriage. And and some will say, yeah, but he said the angels in heaven. These aren't the angels in heaven. These are the fallen angels. Well, Jude verse six says the fallen angels are reserved in everlasting chains under darkness until the time of the judgment. And it's amazing to me how that people will take a couple of words in this passage of Scripture and build a doctrine that, that contradicts everything else that we know about the Bible, just to fit some words. Now, I want to, uh, to uh, side in with the Jews on this, this issue, this topic. There are a lot of things about the Jewish language and the words that are used that without an understanding and without some information about it these scriptures are um, well at the very least blind to us hard to understand but when you understand some things about the Jewish language and what's being said what's really being said and the whole purpose for it being said then it makes better sense so I'm going to share with you the the ancient Jewish teaching on these passages of scripture and, and some others surrounding it okay a couple of things you need to know before we get into it. One is the, the Jews accept and revere the, the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. These are the books that God dictated, word for word, literally, letter, for, letter by letter um, to Moses. And observant Jews will read the Torah passages, certain sections or divisions of the Torah every Sabbath. Now, the Torah... And there are very, very strict rules and regulations for the copying of the Torah and making copies and, and so forth, uh, un, unlike any other book known to man, really, I guess. I mean, the, with the strictness and, and, and so forth, I mean, there, are, there are the rules, the set of rules is the Bible in itself for how to, to copy the Torah and, and so forth. And the, the, you gonna understand the, the thinking behind it is they're trying to preserve the integrity of the, the Scriptures itself. Uh, The Torah does not have chapter designations and divisions like we know of. It has divisions. There are 54 uh, divided parts, 54 parts of the Torah. So every Sabbath day observant Jews will read one or in some cases two. And usually those uh, divisions are anywhere from five to ten chapters that we know of in the English translation, the English Bible. But each of these divisions are called a cedra. And cedras... Are divided according to the beginning and the end of a story, so each sedra has its own theme. As such, the sedra, or Genesis chapter six and verse one, where we started reading, is at the tail end of another sedra, the first sedra. As a matter of fact, the first sedra goes from Genesis one one. What we know of is Genesis one one, the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it goes down through what we know of as Genesis 6, verse 8. And the theme of the first sedra is very simply this, the fall and the decline of man. So these verses, 1 through 4 that we read, and all the, the first eight verses of the chapter, is a part of the first sedra and has to do with, relates to, and is governed by the theme of the decline of man. So with that in mind, let's start again in verse 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them. Now, the word began is, uh, is a little bit interesting in the, uh, in the Hebrew. I don't know. How, I'm not going to try to pronounce the Hebrew words because I'd mess it up and take away from it and get you laughing and then you'd miss the point of the, the message. But the word began does not just simply mean something started. It means something new started. So it says they began to multiply, that means to increase. But this began to increase or began to multiply means a whole lot more than what is translated in the English. The began to multiply and began to increase simply means this. It means they turned away from traditional uh, values and started something according to their own ideas. Now we could stop and take some time and I don't want to do this. But if you go back in some of the previous chapters uh, and look at the lineage, this one begat that one, this one begat that one, you'll find that Noah, his father is named Lamech. His father-in-law is named Lamech. The name Lamech has a a very distinct and specific meaning as to what was going on in society and, and civilization at that time. Noah's father names him Noah, and the name Noah means rest. And he says something about Noah. Uh, Let me just read it to you from Genesis chapter 5, verse 29. Lamech called his name Noah, saying, Noah meaning rest, saying, this same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. Here's what that means. That means Lamech says, Noah is going to turn things around so that we're not going to have to work hard to get the ground to produce for us. In other words, the idea is he wants something, wants the benefits without the work. Benefits without responsibility. Noah's father-in-law is also named Lemech, And the Bible tells us he's a descendant of Cain. And uh, the Bible tells us that he married two wives. One wife to be a mother to his children and the other wife just for pleasure. So he changed... The concept of marriage for a very specific purpose he wanted to disassociate sex from responsibility so he had a wife designated you're just for sex the other wife she'll take care of the kids that are born and and the the wifely duties and take care of the servants and everything but you're you're just for sex well I I don't have any doubt whatsoever that Lamech the father-in-law was made man of the year I mean, to every guy that's ever lived, that sounds great. Somebody always available, never has a headache, never says no. Shall I go on? But the whole point is he wanted the benefits of a physical relationship without any of the responsibilities regarding raising children and and so forth and so on and so forth. It shows the the pattern and the condition of society when this begins in Genesis chapter 6. Man has fallen and declined to the point where he wants something for nothing. And that's going to play a big, big part. Because men are now, as a result of what both Lamech's attitudes were and, and others as well, they're just representatives. But the attitude of society is... To discard traditional values, to discard the old traditions, the things that were passed down from Adam and Eve, the things that were revealed to Adam and Eve from God and so forth, so that man could have it easy. I don't know about you, but I'd like the benefits of work without having to work. Sounds great, but that never works out that way. You can well understand the point. So where it says they began to abandon traditional values and multiply or increase upon the earth, the word multiply has a, a common root with the word argumentative. It literally means their beginning was rebellion. What they began to do was rebel against the traditional ideas that God had set up for the family and for society, and they became argumentative, they became rebellious, they became obstinate. Instead of looking at their fellow man as a, as a, a help, Let's help each other. Let's work together. They're looking at each other as rivals. Everybody's your enemy. That's what verse 1 is trying to say. Now notice also it says, and daughters were born unto them. That has to mean something more than there were girls present. Because if you look in Genesis chapter 5, in verse 30, it says, and Lamech lived after he beget Noah 595 years and beget sons and daughters. Verse 26 says that Methuselah, Begat sons and daughters. Verse 22 says, Enoch begat sons and daughters. Sons and daughters have been being born all along the way. So, whenever the Bible tells you something that you already think you know, it's trying to say something specific. So, what it's saying is that daughters were born into this attitude where men were rivals and men have, ab- have abandoned traditional values concerning family and, and even work and so forth. How's that, how do you think that's going to work out for the women? Not well. Then verse 2, it says that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. The sons of God, the word uh, that's used for God here is the word Elohim. And there's something else you need to understand about, uh, about the Jewish language and the teaching of the ancient rabbis, and that is this. There are two words that are used primarily for God. One is normally translated Lord, it's the word Jehovah. The other is the word that's translated God, it is the word Elohim. Typically, now there may be exceptions to this, but they're few and far between. Typically, the name Jehovah is used when it's talking about God and his mercy. I'll show you that in just a moment. Elohim is used when it's talking about God and his authority or someone that he gives authority to. For example, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. And God said, and Elohim said, let us make man in our own image and let them have dominion over the works of our hands. Psalm 8, verse 5, thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. The word angels is the word Elohim. It's talking about made a little bit lower than God. For what purpose? To crown him with loving kindness and tender mercy that he might have dominion over the work of our hands. In other words, man is spoken of with the term Elohim when it's talking about authority or a position of power, just as much as God is. So here where it says in the sons of God, it's not talking about heavenly beings. It's talking about people of power. It's talking about people of position. It's talking about people that were famous and people that were ruling. As a matter of fact, in uh, the British Parliament, one of their houses of government is called the house of lords. Well, that doesn't mean they're divine beings That means they're people of position and authority. That's what this is talking about. And the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were fair or beautiful, and they took them wives of all that they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Now, you may have heard teaching along this line, and I, I, I certainly have. That God is identifying that man will live 120 years. That's not what He's saying here. If that's what somebody wants to claim, and you've got faith to that, I'm not trying to discourage anybody. But that's not what's being spoken of here. God is saying, "I'm going to give mankind 120 years to fix this." He's talking about the time till the flood. My spirit shall not always strive with man. Man is a three-part being: spirit, soul, and body. He's saying the spirit is losing out to the flesh. I'm not always going to put up with this. I'm not always going to be okay with man making his own plans and coming up with his own society and abandoning the traditional values that I established with Adam and Eve. That's what he's saying. The sons of God saw that there were daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years, 120 years to fix this. There were giants in the earth in those days. The word is Nephilim, and it means fallen ones. I've heard people use the angels, you know, having sex with women and talking about Goliath and his four brothers and and all this other kind of stuff. What does fallen ones mean? It's not talking about people that were big in stature. It's not talking about people that were of, of huge size. It's talking about people that had fallen... Related to the decisions that had been made in the decline of society. Let me prove it to you. There were giants in the land. In the earth in those days. And also after that. What does it mean also after that? See we have a tendency to read the Bible. And skip over the words that we don't think are important. And focus on the ones that we think are. And so most people will to look at verse 4. And focus on the giants. And ignore the also after that. What does also after that mean? Well it's telling us that generations are passing. It's saying that the sons of those powerful men who have begun, their own, have begun to uh, uh, abandon traditional values and come up with their own ideas about how society and marriage and so forth should work, that the sons, their sons, the next generation, sons who would, be, who would have uh, fathers that are not very involved, shall we say, what's going to happen? with those sons those children those offspring of the fathers powerful men who have married for the wrong reasons married for selfish reasons not for the sake of the children not for the sake of providing a home and a common purpose between husband and wife and for the family but for their own purposes what's going to happen well are those children just going to have mediocre marriages like their fathers did No, they're going to decline even further. It says there were fallen ones in the land. In other words, those sons now take a different attitude, an even worse attitude, a more declined attitude toward relationships than ever before. There's a change of verbs here. It says also after that when the sons of God, sons of powerful men, came in unto the daughters of men. Notice in verse 2 it says, that the sons of powerful men took them wives of whichever they chose. Now their sons, after having absentee fathers, uninvolved fathers, their sons aren't even thinking about marriage. They don't take wives. It says they come in. In other words, the word that's used for in the Hebrew that means came in unto. Uh, the daughters of men, daughters of ordinary men, what that means is they either seduced them or raped them. In other words, the decline of society in in one generation or the generation that's spoken of has declined to the point where marriage is is not even considered. Now it's just the powerful men that are taking advantage of women at their will. Now, folks, stop and think about how common this is in our world. You know that powerful people, politicians, rich people, or whatever, their kids get away with murder. If there's a sexual assault case, they get the best lawyers, they get them off. If there's a child involved, who pays the price for that child? It's the woman that's left alone. What about politicians that have sex with interns and take advantage of women? Well, it's almost becoming, at least in one political party, a resume enhancer. They go on to success. They go on to prosper in whatever they're doing. What happens to the women? Doesn't bode well for them, does it? What about Hollywood producers and Hollywood personalities? Take advantage of starlets, wide-eyed starlets. Leave them high and dry. This is not a new phenomenon. It's been going on for thousands of years. And this is where society began to decline. And that's what the Bible is trying to show you. Remember, it's it's the, the closing verses of the first division whose theme is the decline of man. So it says there were fallen ones in the earth. Now, what does that mean? Well, let me give you a couple of examples. What choices? There are only two. But think about the two choices that a woman that's been abused by a powerful man, has she can either abort the baby or in one sense it can fall prematurely from the womb and in that case it desensitizes society to the value of life and creates or increases the coarseness the coarse attitude that, that mankind has society has toward life itself or the second option is that that baby can be born And what happens when a baby is born without any knowledge of who the father is whatsoever? Well, it falls into a hostile environment. Now, folks, this is not talking specifically. You may know of situations and I may know of situations where somebody was caught in a terrible circumstance and did a wonderful job with the help of family and friends and whatever and raised great and wonderful children as a result. But this is talking about society as a whole. The purpose of these verses is to let you know this is what's going on as a rule in society. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't want anybody to feel condemned about anything that's being spoken of here because this is talking about society in general. There are some people that buck the trend. There are some people that, but but even they would admit they're swimming upstream. There are difficulties and, and hardships involved with it. And some do a wonderful job. And think about other situations in society where some kids, uh, maybe a child is born after a father is killed in a war. There's no father there. He's never met his father. There are opportunities for that father to still be involved in his life by family and friends relating to them, the heroism of the father or the, the sacrifice for country and so forth. There are exceptions to this, but it's talking about a society as a whole. I hope that comes across. I sure mean for it too. So it says there were fallen ones in the earth in those days. In other words, this is the degradation and the decline of society. The fallen ones in those days and also after that, when the sons of powerful men came in unto the daughters of ordinary men and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. It doesn't mean in a good way. They were mighty. The word mighty means bully or tyrant. It means men that bring desolation. Now, here's one thing you can check out for yourself, and that is you look at the crime statistics nationwide and find out who are the most destructive in society. You'll find out those are children without fathers, young men growing out without father influence. You find out the majority of the people that are in prison are going to be people without a father influence. You find the people that cost society the most As far as destructiveness is concerned, the children, young men without fathers. That's what this is saying. And that's what it's telling us. It's telling us that society has declined and degraded to such a point where this was the norm. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made the man on the earth. And it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast. And the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Here's the end of the first sedra, the first division of the scripture. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The decline of man and the division of the, of the scripture, the Torah, that specifically the theme is specifically the fall and decline of man ends with God's grace being shown to man in spite of the condition of mankind. Are you with me? Verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now I want you to look back with me to... uh, Verse 32, the last verse of chapter 5, it says, And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Again, any time the Bible tells you something that you think you already know, it's telling you for a reason. Now, somebody tell me the difference between the verse 32 of chapter 5, And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah beget Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And verse 10 of chapter 6, And Noah beget three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Folks, this is the story of Noah. The story of Noah, at least for our purposes, is not about the flood. It's about Noah and what he built. The difference between the two verses, it tells us in the first verse that he had three offspring, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. It tells us in the second verse, chapter 6 and verse 10, that he made sons out of them. And he made sons out of them in the worst possible condition to raise family in a condition where man has declined to such a degree that the thoughts of his heart are wicked and evil continually. And Noah built sons in that environment. I don't know about you, but I want to know how that worked. I want to know how to do that. It's very important. Notice it says, the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. There's... Um, Uh, Well, let me go ahead and read verse 12, and then we'll make some comments. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. As I said, God talks about himself and uses two different names for himself. Usually it's Lord or or Jehovah, most often translated Lord in the Scripture, when it's speaking specifically about his mercy. When he's talking about his power or he's talking about the, the authority side or the judgment side, he uses the name Elohim. He also in this passage between the two divisions, he changes the way that he talks about man. In the first uh, verses of uh, chapter 6, he talks about man using the name Adam. Man is translated, the, the Hebrew word Adam is translated man. But here when it begins the second one, it says in verse 12, God looked upon the earth and behold it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Verse 13, let me read that too. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. The word flesh literally means meat. It means there's nothing left to mankind but bodies. They've given themselves over completely, and that's what he means. My spirit will not always strive. He doesn't mean the Holy Ghost will give up. He means the spiritual part of man is lost almost completely. To the fleshly side of man. And it literally is the word meat. That's all man was. Was meat. And he says. The end of the earth has come. Because of the conditions. The decline. Of mankind. All he is is his body. He's abandoned the spiritual side of himself. He's even abandoned his intellect. To follow his bodily desires. Now there's. When it talks about. um, uh, Noah. And let me, let me spend the next 10 or 15 minutes, I guess, talking about what Noah built and how it worked. According to the Jews, now there's no way to prove it, but you can't disprove it either. So they could be right. Don't, it's not a guarantee that they're right, but they certainly could be. The Jews believe that God appears to Noah when Noah is 480 years old, 120 years before the flood. And he tells them the flood is coming. So that Noah, having been given instruction to build an ark, having been given certain specific instruction about how to build it and what to do and so forth, you've got to realize nobody had built ships in where Noah was. I don't know if shipbuilding was even an issue in that day. We don't have any way to know one way or the other. But God did not just cause Noah to wake up one morning and look out his window and there was an ark. Why not? Because it's important the work that Noah did for the next 120 years was very important important in the building of his sons Now his sons were born when he was 500 years old So that means Noah started building the ark 20 years before his first son was born I got my math right you with me What does Noah do when he starts building the ark? He doesn't have any power tools We don't know what the condition of of building was in those days. We don't know if he's taking an axe and timbers. We don't know if he has to invent tools by the wisdom of God to, to make things work. We don't have any information about that whatsoever. But what we do know is that Noah began doing something in the midst of a wicked generation that was unlike anything that anybody else had ever done. And it would certainly, if not right away, the first day or two, within a short period of time, it would generate enough interest so that people would question what he's doing. My point is very simply this. It put Noah on the spot almost immediately to declare himself as working for the Lord and warning the people of his generation. A lot of these people would have been friends, acquaintances, and so forth. Warning them about the destruction to come Now it's one thing to do it for yourself But now he starts having kids A couple of decades later he starts having children What would you think And think about this from a parental parental standpoint What would you think About your kids bringing kids into the world Knowing that there's a flood coming But knowing that you're the ridicule And the butt of everybody's jokes of a whole generation And you know what people are like when you warn them about the the coming destruction or the the end of times and so forth. Nobody takes that well. Nobody says, well, I see your point. Yeah, maybe I need to consider it. Maybe I need to consider how I'm living my life. Nobody says that. Everybody mocks you. Everybody laughs. They act like it's no big thing. That's what's happening to Noah. And it's what starts happening to his sons. Now, here's how Noah built his sons. He got them involved with this project. Instead of taking the position that so many parents do today. Well honey we don't want you to be uh, discouraged. We just want you to be happy. We don't want you to experience the ridicule. So don't feel bad when you see daddy out there building the ship. We don't want you involved. Just you go do your things and play with the other kids down the street. That's not what happens. Noah. Causes his sons to be involved in the project. They don't know anything else. They're born into ark building. What they do know. Is that nobody else is building one. What they do know. Is that their father. Their family and now themselves. Are being ridiculed for the work that, that dad says. He's doing because of what God told him. And what does it do? It builds an inner strength in them that nothing else can do. Most of the times what we want, and I I struggle with this a lot myself, so I can speak to this personally. I want my kids to have more than what I have. I want my kids to have it better than I had it. But there's a problem with that because if I take what the Lord has blessed me with today and bless my kids with it, then what they're going to wind up is they'll wind up with what I've got and not what I had that got me to the place to what got me what I've got now, and that's always been the case. The more we do for our kids, the more inclined they are to have less of the character and the the go get it nature that caused us to follow God or pursue the career that he gave for us, or whatever it is. There's a real tendency to give them material things at the expense of character. And we can see over and over and over again in society how families, generations of of people that have great wealth usually wind up giving birth and producing kids that are are worthless, good for nothings because all they've known is pleasure and prosperity and, and abundance. Well, thank God for abundance. But something more important than abundance is the character and the spiritual wherewithal that brings the abundance. And we've got to be careful that we don't give our kids too much of material things at the expense of the spiritual elements and characteristics that will make them in better stead than we're in now. Do you understand what I mean? Well, Noah was faced with that. And here's what Noah did. Noah incorporated his family into his project. And let me show you the the end result of that. In chapter 7, in verse 13, it says, In the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them into the ark. A couple of things I want to show you about this. But the first thing I want you to see is now they've gone from being His children built into sons to be in their own men. They're given the honor of being named individually. It doesn't just say Noah and his sons entered into the ark. It names them individually. In other words, Noah's principles, Noah's life's project, life's work has become theirs. That's what this means in the Hebrew by by naming them by name. It's showing that it's as much their work as it is Noah's. They've taken it on just as much and just as seriously as Noah has. Now, here's a question for you. What about that phrase, in the selfsame day? Again, we look at the Bible as a book of poetry in many cases, and we don't realize that there are no words there that are without meaning. In the selfsame day, Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth and their Noah's wife and their three wives entered into the ark. What does that mean? The word selfsame day literally means in the bones of the day. You can well understand why it's not translated that way in English. What in the world does that mean? It means this. It means your bones are the inner strengths that enable you to stand upright. Noah, incorporating his sons, building his sons by making them part of his project, has created within them a strength of their own. And not only that, let me back up and show you a couple of other scriptures here that are important. Chapter 6 and verse 11 the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. This word violence is connected with the word robbery. In other words, it means taking things by force. Now remember one of the characteristics of the generation of the decline of man in this generation, Noah's generation, was that people wanted things without having to work for them. So robbing became big. I don't want to work for what you've got. I'll take what you've got by force. Another thing it says and God looked upon the earth, verse 12, and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Well, let me, let me make the first comment and then I'll get to the, to the next one. Where it says, in the self same day or the bones of the day, it means literally this. And this is, the Jews have been teaching this for hundreds of years. This isn't some new thing. They've been teaching this for hundreds of years. They say the Jewish rabbis, ancient rabbis taught that in Noah's day, after 120 years, or sometime during those 120 years while he's building the ark, the people have taken the position, well, Noah, we don't know if there's going to be a flood or not. But if there is, don't think for a minute we're going to let you get on that ship. We'll kill you and take the ship for ourselves. Which would be the normal thinking for somebody whose life is, is uh, based on and founded upon taking something by force. So in the selfsame day, in the bones of the day, what that means is simply This. God didn't tell Moses or what's his name? Noah. God didn't tell Noah Now, when it gets dark, sneak onto the ship. He walked on that ship, staring his detractors in the eye. And folks, there's something about having to stand up for what you believe that creates an inner strength that nothing else can. When Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he meant what he said. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. One thing I found out, I found this out by myself, uh, with, concerning myself and with other people as well, and that is people that never stand up for anything don't have any strength to them at all. It's only when you begin to stand up and say, yeah, that's what I believe. It's only when you begin to stand up and say, yeah, I am a Christian. One of the things that you might find interesting is that one of the leaders of the Reformed Jewish movement, and there's still Reformed Jews around the world today, was a German guy by the name of Mendelssohn. And he was famous for saying this. He said, Jews should be Jews at home, but Germans in the street. Well, I think that's the attitude of a lot of the modern day church. Christians at church, but Americans in the street. Those are people that never develop any spiritual strength to them at all. That's not what Noah did. Noah put his son's, right in the middle of the fray, right in the middle of the fire. He put them right in the middle of the position where they had to decide for themselves how are they going to handle the ridicule? How are they going to handle people making fun of them? How are they going to handle people saying that there's crazy men with crazy kids, a crazy family building something called an ark that'll, for a flood that will never come? How are you going to handle that? They handled it like men. They grew into men and looked the people in the eye when God said, come get in the ark. A couple other points I want to make. One is in chapter 7 and verse 1. And the Lord said unto Noah, come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. I want you to notice something. The word come is used. God didn't command him and say, go get in the ark. He invited him in. The ark is a type of Jesus. He invited him in, and this is the first time in the Bible that the word come is used. That's used more than 500 times after that. But here's the first time. It's an invitation to come into the ark. Two things pointed to the conditions of the generation, conditions of mankind in Noah's day. I mentioned one already, and that was the violence connected to robbery. But the other is in verse 12, chapter 6. And it says, And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Let me turn to another scripture real quick and be ready for it when I finish. Here's what the Jewish rabbis teach. You decide for yourself. But like I said, they've been teaching this for hundreds of years. Since the two main things that are spoken of in scripture was a desire for the benefits of work without having to work. Secondly, a desire for the benefits of physical relation or physical, the physical part of marriage without the responsibility. You can see how that's progressed to the point where now the sons of the powerful men are just taking women, seducing them or raping them, whichever works. It's, it's digressed and declined to the point where people are just hooking up. Sound familiar? But here's what the Jewish rabbis have taught for hundreds of years. And that is, they came to the point where they divorced sex with responsibility, from responsibility, to the point where they had solemnized or legalized homosexual marriage. Which is the ultimate work of the devil when it comes to sex without responsibility. There's no offspring. There's no children to take care of. The two conditions that the Bible refers to that the Jews teach, the ancient Jews, ancient rabbis teach, is a society that steals by course to such a degree that it's not even prosecuted. I mean, it's just accepted, it's just understood And homosexual marriage. With that in mind, let me turn over to Matthew chapter 24. Jesus talking about himself coming. Verse 36, he said, But of that day and hour no man knoweth. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking. They were meat sacks, all they were concerned about is body. They were eating and drinking. Marrying and giving in marriage. Notice the emphasis on marriage, the marriage relationship. Now, what do we know about the marriage relationship? It had declined to the point where nobody was even worried about marriage. It was all about sex without responsibility and homosexual marriage. Until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and they knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, that's what Jesus said about the signs of the end before he comes. I would submit to you folks that we are in exactly, we mean society, present-day society is on exactly the same course that the Bible describes in Noah's day. And we may be even far, along the, far enough along the track to say it's exactly the same. If not, we don't have much further to go. Jesus said that's what things are going to be like when he comes. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you for the privilege that we have to understand the word. To understand your meaning. To understand how important it is to hold fast. Things that are given to us. The instructions that are given to us from scripture. That we may live our life thereby. We thank you, Father, for your blessings. We thank you for the privilege. To be kept by the spirit of God. Father we ask that you would help us to reach people. Before the end comes. In a mighty mighty way. That we'd be willing to stand up. In the heat of the day. In the face of ridicule. And say I believe in Jesus. I believe in the word. I believe it shall be even as it was told us. We ask you, Father, to strengthen us by your spirit to do just that. We ask you for open doors to bring people into the kingdom of God. In Jesus' precious name. If you can agree with that prayer, say amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us.